So if you have your Bible, let's open it up for a little instruction from God's Word. And we'll be in Psalm 1 today. Psalm 1. And we'll just read the whole chapter. It's very short. Once you find it, if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll have prayer, and then we'll read these verses together. All right, Psalm chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, how we love you this morning, how we thank you for your goodness to us. My, how we're grateful. Lord, just thinking of your name, how precious it is to us. It's not only our tower, uh, Lord, but it's our comfort. We can run to you in times of trouble for deliverance. Uh, Lord, we can come to you also in distress when we need comfort. And so, Lord, we just thank you for all of that. Thank you for your company, your encouragement, Lord, your instruction. And today, give us some of those things as we look into Psalm 1. We pray you'd lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. We pray you'd bless the reading of your word and that you would also apply it to our lives and just show us what you'd have us do from your word today. And we thank you for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Psalm chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to preach a message this morning. I've entitled simply this, The Blessed Man. The Blessed Man. Isn't that what the Bible says here, Psalm 1? Blessed is the man. This is a generic term, man. It could be man, woman, boy or girl. Those who fit the description of what God is referring to here in Psalm chapter 1. He's talking about the righteous. He's talking about those who choose to follow him. He gives a description. And then in contrast at the end, gives us a little contrast from the ungodly and says some things about them. So those who follow the Lord's ways, God said they're blessed. And those who do not follow his ways, God said they're ungodly. And notice what he says about them. They shall not stand in the judgment. He said they're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Wow, those are powerful words, and and definitely a stark contrast when we look at those two very different conditions. Notice what the Bible says in these verses about the blessed man. First, I want you to notice the man. Would you look with me at verse number one? The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Isn't it interesting that in the Bible, most of the time, many times in the Bible, God is giving us instruction on what to do because that's what instruction does. It tells us what's right, how to get right. And God's word certainly does that so very well. But in this passage, when God is talking about the blessed man, notice here something different. In this passage, when God is talking about the blessed man, he's not talking about what he does. He's talking about what he doesn't do. 
speaking of contrasts, that is a good way to give us one. And God is contrasting here the blessed man with later the ungodly and sinners. And so by contrast, we see there's some things that stand out about this man. Not because of what he does, but because of what he does not do. Can I say that if we're going to be well-rounded, mature Christians, then we're going to have to get both sides of this right. We're going to have to have the positive side, and we're going to have to have those things in place. But then also there is the negative side, and we're going to have to understand that and have that in place as well. The things that we do for God, and then the things that we don't do. Right? We all should have those things that we do, and then those things that we don't do. You know, it's not a bad thing when someone's going to enter into an activity that's not part of your Christian routine. It's okay to say, "Uh, no thanks, I don't practice that. No thanks, I don't go there. No thanks, right? And if you want to get specific, we could say, no thanks, I don't smoke. No thanks, I don't drink. No thanks, I, I don't, whatever the activity might be. So those are things that we have to consider. Notice the blessed man. It's not what he does. It's he, in this passage anyway, it's what he doesn't do. What does he not do? Number one, the Bible says he walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Notice the word counsel there. What does this have to do? This has to do with understanding. This has to do with thought. And the Bible tells us that the blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Guess what? He doesn't come around to think the way the world thinks. The Bible gives us some examples of that. But can I tell you, you won't end up where the world's living if you don't first start thinking the way they think. Because God's way of thought and the world's way of thought are on two different veins. And one of the subtlest things that gets Christians off track is they begin to think like the world. Can I give you a Bible example? What about old Samson? Isn't that what set him up on the wrong track? Samson, the Bible says, as he he grew up, he simply did this. I, I always say he got an F. He fell into the world's ways. Right? Here's a Christian young man, and he goes to, he gets, to, gets about the time when it's time to date and have a girlfriend and get to know uh, other people to, to look for a partner in life. And what does he do? He ends up pursuing a partner in life. He pursues a woman, but he does it the world's way. Not only that, he does it in the world's place. And he comes to his dad and says, hey, I want, to, I want y'all to give your consent to this. I've found a woman. She pleases me well. Go back and read it, Judges 13. And his father and his mother say, well, what about all the daughters of Israel? You have to go to the ungodly crowd and find a daughter among the Philistines? You, you can't find a Christian girl? What was he doing? He was falling into the world's ways. They got engaged. They had a They had a party. We have names for that. At the party, what did Samson do? He fell into the world's ways. So what did that do? That, that got him engaged with the Philistines. They put forth a riddle, you remember? And, and he made a bet with them. Right? Hey, Christian men, we, we don't practice betting and gambling and all of that. You, di- you didn't learn that in church. That didn't, 
That didn't come to you in Sunday school. Where did he get that? He got that in the world. He picked up on the world's ways. He lost that gambling debt, and it forced him to have to go murder 30 men to take their garments to pay off his debt. Isn't that something? Now, we could back up and look at the bigger picture and see a lot more going on. But just for example, you see how easy it is just to fall into the world's ways. And that's what he's doing. The Bible says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, we, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't take the advice when, when the train of thought is not running on God's vein, it's running in the world's vein. That's advice that, that we don't follow. We separate the two. We don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Is that a big deal? Well, according to Psalm 1, it is. According to Psalm 1, if you want to be blessed in your life, if, if you want to see the difference between being godly and being ungodly, then here's where it starts. It starts in the way you think. Hey, could you hold your place there and turn with me to Romans chapter 12? If you were here on a, on a couple of Wednesday nights ago, this passage was discussed and explained. Brother Jeremiah filled in and, and uh, said he was going to preach on Romans 12. My wife said he did a great job. But notice these, these great verses here, Romans 12. All of them are good, but look at verse 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Hey, do you see that word acceptable? Acceptable to who? To God. You know, you and I, as children of God, we ought to be striving to live our lives in a way that is pleasing and acceptable to Him. Now let's stop for a minute and let's flip the coin over. If there's a way of life that is acceptable to God, then you can flip that over and realize that there must be a way of life that is not acceptable to God. Unacceptable. And we don't want to find ourselves in that category. We don't want to live a life that's unacceptable. We don't want to create relationships that are unacceptable in God's sight. And the Bible outlines a few of those. Same-sex marriage is unacceptable in the sight of God. Romans chapter 1 deals with that. All right? So that's an unacceptable. They call it an alternate lifestyle. It's really a deviant lifestyle. Because it defies God's way for a different path. All right, so there's unacceptable things. You know, do you know that God, God wants his children to be what the Bible calls equally yoked. So for a believer to marry an unbeliever, did you know that according to God, that is an unacceptable partnership? And you'll find that there's going to be trouble when you create those kind of relationships. There are problems that automatically go with that territory. Right? Problems. I don't know about you. I want to live in a way that's acceptable to God. And the only way to do that is to find out what that is. If it's acceptable to God, then that means God determines what it's going to be. It's acceptable to Him. Not to you. Not to the world. Not to, not to some popular uh, celebrity. But acceptable to God. Right? In order to do that, we have to become a living sacrifice. But look at verse 2. How do, we, how do we become a living sacrifice? And how do we live a life that's acceptable to God? In the world, and we live 
There's so many influences around us. There's so many different versions. Notice verse 2. The Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Now, I don't have time this morning to, to preach this, but the renewing of your mind, by the way, it says that you may prove or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do we find the acceptable will of God? How do we demonstrate that and show it in our lives? Through the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind comes from the word of God. God's word renews our mind. In other words, God is in the business of changing the way you think. God wants you as a believer to think like he does. And so God has revealed truth to us in his word to help us do that. God wants to help us understand and come to the conclusions that he has come to about life and about relationships and the things that matter. By the way, who's the author? Who's the author of this universe? Who's the author of creation? Who's the author of life? Who's the author of relationships? God is. God wrote the book. You know, there was a song years ago about who wrote the book of love. God wrote it. And if God wrote it, then he understands how it works. And if God created us, then he understands what we need and and what is best for us. Isn't that right? You know, when you were growing up as a kid, you know, sometimes you had to trust your parents to do what was best for you. And it may not have always been what you wanted And sometimes you might have been disappointed. Maybe if you were old enough to understand both sides, you you might have got to a point where you realize, oh, wow, this is much better. Or now I see why I needed this instead of that. Right? That happens in the Christian life as well. And when we understand what the way God thinks about things, when we do things the the way God wants us to do it, did you know? that that's how we live in a way that brings us the most fulfillment? Isn't it just like God to create everything in such a way that the thing which brings him the most glory also brings us the most contentment? That's because he made us. He knows what we need. And, And when we follow his will and we do things his way, you know what? We stand out in the crowd like the blessed man. The Bible says the blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. But not only that, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. What does that mean? He doesn't stand in the way? It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that he doesn't stand in their way. It means he doesn't stand in the way with them. You know, there's a good Bible example of that too. Do you remember when Peter... When they arrested Jesus, and the Bible says Peter followed, but he didn't follow up close. He followed far off. Hey, you ever see that bumper sticker? And it says, do you follow Jesus this close? (laughs) Right? you got to be pretty close to read that. We should follow Jesus close, right? But in this moment, Peter was afraid. In this moment, Peter was intimidated. In this moment, he was fearful because they had arrested Jesus, and he was afraid of what they might do to him if they knew that he was one of his disciples. So the Bible says he put that distance there. And by the way, that's one of the devil's greatest tools is the distance that he helps us put between us and 
in Jesus. Right? So when we fall away from our devotional life, when we fall away from our prayer time, when we fall away from our church attendance, hey, listen, what he's doing is he's trying to work in your life in such a way to create distance between you and the Lord. And when that happens, you're more vulnerable then of getting away from God's ways of doing things, God's ways of thinking about things, and falling into the world's ways. And that's what happened to Peter. He followed the Lord afar off, and he ended up at the high priest's uh, palace, and he was listening to the goings-on, trying to figure out what was going to happen to Jesus. And while he was there, he had a few encounters where, where a couple of the young women said, Hey, you're one of them. Hey, aren't you one of his disciples? You know what happened. He said, oh, no, not me. No, uh The Lord had told him that tonight he would betray him three times. And that's when it happened. When he got that distance between him and the Lord. Don't sit here in church and say, oh, no, pastor, not me. I'll never be unacceptable to God. Oh, no, no, pastor, not me. I'll never live. I'll never think in a way that's unacceptable. Yeah, it could be you. If you let a little distance, a little too much distance, get between you and the Lord, there's no telling what you'll do. The Bible says the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's scary, isn't it? So let me get back to my story. I'm using this as an illustration of the blessed man, right? Peter lets that distance get between him and Jesus, and he's trying to listen to figure out what's going on. And what does the Bible say? It says he stood and he, he warmed himself by their fire. That's just a, a little picture. Peter was standing in the camp of the enemy, the ones who were about to crucify the Lord. He's getting all cozy with them, and he's denying that he knows Jesus. That's standing in the way of sinners. Hey, that could happen to you at work tomorrow. Yeah. Hey, aren't you, aren't you one of them Christians? Aren't, aren't, hey, you're church, you're, you're, you're a believer, aren't you? How are you going to answer that? Well, I hope you're happy to just say, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Or they might say it in a little more of a crude way. You're one of them Bible thumpers. What does the Bible say? You're one of them preacher fellas, preacher ladies. You go to church every Sunday. You're one of them goody goodies. You might not be so nice about it. See, the Bible says the blessed man, he doesn't find himself warming himself by their fire. He's not standing in the way with sinners. He's not hanging out with them. Because guess what? You, you hang out. Look, you, first you start thinking like them, then you end up hanging out with them. That's how you get there. That's how you get there from sitting in church saying, oh, no, not me. And the next thing you know, you know it is you. First, you, took, you walked after the counsel of the ungodly. Now you're standing in the way of sinners. And notice what it says next. It says he also doesn't do this. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. What does that mean? Well, the seat there is talking about the judgment seat. 
He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. In other words, he's not rendering judgment. This is not, this is not justice type judgment that you would get in a courtroom. This is, notice he said, the seat of who? The scornful. These are the ones that mock and make fun. They scorn. They look down upon. So these are the people who, who go out of their way to make right look wrong, to make good look bad. The scornful. They're against everything that's godly and righteous. They're against the rules, and they don't mind telling you so. Not just rebellious, but scornful. Right? They're going to put this on a public display. They're going to make a point out of it because they're scorning the Word of God. They're scorning God Himself. The scornful. How does does somebody become a scorner? Someone who sits in judgment of the righteous as if they're wrong, who condescends to those who are trying to do what's right, make fun of them and belittle them. How do you become a scorner? Well, first, you walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And then you stand in the way of sinners. You hang out with them. You make your company there. And it's not long before now you're scorning what is right. When that's where you used to stand. That's what you used to say. That's what you used to represent. And now you're scorning that. How does a person get into that downward progression? It all starts with how you think. Walking in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, we're very vulnerable to that because we're social creatures. Look around today. Look, the things that get publicly promoted and become politically correct, that's what everybody wants to do. It's like they don't even have a mind of their own. Whatever's programmed in, bloop, bloop, that's what starts coming out, and they start mindlessly repeating it and doing it as if, hey, this is just the new trend. It's automatic. That's scary. Don't you think? And and just saying follow the science doesn't really make me feel better about it. (laughs) Wow. There's a lot of scary things going on. And you know, we can be easily influenced to think in a way that goes against what God says. That's the whole point of this. So you have to know your Bible well enough and be grounded in your heart enough to identify those thoughts and decide either I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace this thought and I'm, and I'm going to use this, this is a good way to think, or this goes against what God says and I'm going to cast it out. I'm not going to listen to that. Do you have that ability? Do you have the willingness to do that? Even if it puts you against the grain of the crowd. You know, that's, that's not always easy to do. But the blessed man... The blessed man does this. I've heard people talk about the words that are used here, showing how this is really a digression. Let me show them to you. It says here that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Look at the word walketh. And then it says, nor standeth in the way of sinners. And then it says, nor sitteth. 
And they've used those words as an analogy to show that someone who was very active for God, right, who, who was running the race is what the Bible describes us as being. Then they started walking, walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And then they, what did they do? They stood still, standing in the way of sinners. And next you find them what? Sitting. Sitting in the seat of the scornful. What are they doing for God? Nothing. They're just sitting. But this seat is not even a neutral seat. It's a seat against what's good and right and wholesome because it's scorning those things. Don't end up in the scornful place. This is the man. God's describing not what he does, as in so many other passages, but here God's just telling us what he doesn't do. And you know, in the day in which we live, in 2022, it's good for us to see this contrast, isn't it? Because you and I, we need that warning flashing light, encouraging us not to do these very same things. Don't go down that path. Not if you want to be the blessed man. Not only that, I want you to see not just the man, but notice the motivation behind the man. Why does he do this? Why is it so important to him that he doesn't go in the wrong way? Because verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So I want you to see his motivation. He is motivated by the things of God, specifically by the word of God. Now, I've spent too much time on point one. Let me give you this quickly, all right? So you'll have to listen fast. The motivation. When it comes to the Word of God, we find that the blessed man, he loves it. He loves the Word of God. Hey, how, let's do a checkup this morning. How's your attitude toward the Word of God? How's your attitude toward the Bible? Is it just, eh? Just take it or leave it? I could go or not go. I could read it or not read it. Or do you really love the Word of God? Do you look forward to reading the Bible? Do you, do you look forward to hearing a message and learning what God has to say about life? His delight is in the law of the Lord. He loves it. Psalm 119, 97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Not only that, he longs for it. The blessed man has a longing for the Word of God, has a longing for God himself. And you know, he fulfills this longing for God through the word, because the word is where God himself is revealed. And he finds God on the pages of scripture. So he loves, he longs for the word of God. Psalm 63, 1 talks about how my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. You find God, you get that refreshment when you get in his word. But not only that, he, he learns the word of God. There is benefit to experiencing the Bible, learning it, and even living it out. He learns the word of God. In Proverbs 9, 9, it says, Give instruction to a wise man, and what happens? And he will be yet wiser. So he benefits, he learns from the word of God, and he takes away lessons from it. And then what does he do? He lives it. His motivation, he lives the word of God. James one twenty two says, But be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only. Because when that happens, you deceive your own self. Right? Y'all know we have virtual reality. You know what that is, right? 
we use that to refer to the, to the video gaming world. And they have all these gadgets and gizmos that help them, you know, like almost experience something. I mean, now they got these goggle things where you can strap them onto your head and you can feel like you're there. I mean, it might be something like a roller coaster ride and you could be sitting in your living room. I mean, just sitting down on the chair. Right. But when you put these goggles on, it's like you got into the little car and you're going on the rails of the little the ride, you know, and then you start going up the hill and you start and you get to see all the scenery like you're a thousand feet up in the air fixing to come down. I mean, with the, with the adrenaline rush of riding that roller coaster, I mean, shoo, I mean, all the way to the bottom. And you can see it, and it's like you put those goggles on. It's like, whoa, it's like you're really riding this ride. As a matter of fact, they have some places where the chairs and stuff you're, you're in actually move according to the ride. Like, you can not only see it, but you can feel it. Oh, it's, it's such a almost real, almost real. Almost. But you know, that is exactly the Christian life that some people live. Almost real. They come to church and get excited. Woo! Talk about God, carry their Bible. It's almost real. But what happens? Well, then they leave. And there went all that. It's kind of like when you take the goggles off. Hey, I'm not in a theme park at all. I'm in a little station in the mall getting out of this box. Virtual reality is what we call it. But can I say to you that sometimes we as Christians are guilty of having virtual Christianity. It's almost real. Almost real. Not the blessed man. Because the blessed man lives it. Because when he leaves out those doors, he takes it with him. And tomorrow morning at work, he's not denying the Lord. He's proclaiming him. Right? Oh, that's how we need to be. Blessed in our our deed. Why? Because we love the Lord. We love his word. We long for it. We learn it. We live it. But notice not only his motivation, but notice his meditation. Look, did you see the verse? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And then it says, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Here is where it gets real. Because this man doesn't just hear it, but then he thinks about it. Remember, we started off talking about how you think. If God is in the business of changing the way you think so that it is in alignment with his thinking, how does that happen? It happens as you and I meditate on the scriptures when we apply them to our life and and we agree with God and what he said. So he meditates day and night on the scripture. He thinks about the word of God and how it applies to his life. By day, he is meditating on the execution of the word of God. He He is considering his actions his choices. He is considering what he will allow and what he will restrain. He's focused on executing what he's learned from the Word of God. But then by night, his meditation is not on execution, 
By night, his meditation is on application. He's thinking. He's reflecting. He's remembering. You know, I think one of the problems that we have in our Christian lives, we get caught up in all the busyness of daily life, and we don't allow ourselves time to reflect. We need to do that. On the way up here, you know, my wife was talking about how cold it was. She's a little more cold-natured than me. I got a little more of a, I like, I'm a little more hot-natured. So, so we're talking about that. And we were just, you know, we always enjoyed the scenery driving over here, looking at the countryside. And, and this morning, she saw a nice, beautiful white horse. And it was obvious because it was con- contrasted from the, from the greenery that was behind it, you know, and it was just standing out there in the field. You could just see it for miles and she was talking about how pretty it was. I said, yeah, yeah. And I said, look, they're not even cold. <laughs> and then later we saw some cows. And I said, look, they're not cold either. <laughs> Standing outside in that wind, right? They should be cold. And we're thinking about that. We're looking at that. So what are, they, what are those animals doing? Well, they're grazing. Those cows are going to graze around. And then after a while, they're going to go lay down. And they're going to reflect, right? They're going to spend time redoing what they did. They're going to chew that grass again. And, you know, I'm afraid that's what we miss. We, we come to church. We hear a good sermon. We open our Bible some mornings and we read a good verse. And then, boy, we're off in our day. And it may be an hour, a day, a week, a month before we think about that again. Because we just don't have time. We don't, we don't make time to go back to that thing and, and think about what was God trying to tell me there? And what does that mean? What, what should I do about that? And now that I know that, what should change? We need to take time to meditate on the word of God. What that means is that we think about it. We think about its application. You know, at the end of the day, we should be looking back and saying, how did I do? What did I do wrong? What did I do right? And how can I do better? We don't give ourselves time to reflect. No wonder we don't improve at the rate we'd like to. Don't let the devil rob you of that. Don't let busyness rob you of that. We need that time of reflection. So this is the blessed man. You see the man, his motivation and his meditation. Now I want to show you quickly the blessings So why do all this? Why is it important? Uh, What did he get out of that? What's in it for me? We often think that way, don't we? It's a little selfish, but we do. So let me show you very quickly. Notice in verse 3, the Bible says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So here are the blessings. The blessings of the man. Look at them. The Bible says he's planted. You know, when you, when you see, when you, when you read those words, he's planted. You know, think about this. He's, he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You, you get the idea of a, of, a, of a thick, strong tree with deep roots. Why? Because he's right there by the river. This, this is a tree that's not going anywhere. This is a tree that has like an anchor. He's planted there. You see stability, serenity, strength, and beauty all rolled into one. Just by the word planted, that's what God wants us to be. 
It says he bringeth forth his fruit in his season. You know, sometimes we're in the American manufacturing mindset and we just think we ought to have results every hour, every day, all the time. Guess what? Life doesn't work like that. God didn't promise that. But he did promise that the blessed man would have fruit in his season. Every time on time, it will be there in his season. Not every day, not all year, right? But in his season. What is that? That's productive. The blessed man is productive. You just can't keep him down. This tree is going to produce fruit every time. Why? Because it's planted. Because it's stable, it's established, it's firm. Now it's productive. But that's not all he said. It would be good enough if he said it's planted and productive. That's great. But he said, notice, his leaf also shall not wither. He's powerful. He's powerful. His leaf shall not wither. You know, there's a lot of things in life that we feel are going to wither us. God said it doesn't have to be like that. If we draw our strength from him, he said it would look like this. You would look like a tree that doesn't wither. Wow. And then he said, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So the blessings of the blessed man is he's planted, he's productive, he's powerful, and now he's prosperous. Prosperous. God didn't say you'd be a millionaire, but he said you'd prosper in what you do. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's pretty consistent. I like that. And if we were just to compare that with the other two, three verses there, we would see that the ungodly, it says, are not so. What are they? They're like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. There's some substance there, but it's temporary. What's going to happen to that chaff? He said, the wind's going to blow it away. What is the wind? Well, I believe here it's a reference to time. You know, the Bible says, what is our life? It's a vapor. It appears for a short time, then vanishes away. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Don't be deceived. Those who are ungodly, who are focused on this world, who are mindful of themselves and the, and the things they can get out of this life, listen, they're going to look like chaff. There's going to appear to be some substance. But eventually, the wind's going to come. And that's all going to be driven away. It's like the rich man that the Lord told about in the New Testament. You know the parable when he said, he said to his soul, soul, they have much goods for many years. He said, uh, I'm going to pull my barns down and build greater barns. And the Lord said, thou fool. Why was he foolish? Because he was building bigger barns? No, because he spent all his time filling the barns up. And he said, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. And then Jesus explained the parable. He said, and so is everyone who is not rich toward God. In other words, we focus on worldly riches and temporal things, and we spend our whole life worried about that. We neglect God and his word. We neglect spiritual things and all that has lasting value. And we give ourselves wholly to the temporal. And what happens? One day. All that stuff 
It's going to be gone. You don't, you, look, when you die, you're not taking any of that with you. You're not taking your bank account. You're not taking your car. You're not taking your social status, your job title. None of that's going with you. And if you haven't used those things to make investments in the kingdom of God somewhere along the way, you're going to be a pauper in heaven if you even make it there. And the reason the Lord told the story of that man is because he was not going to make it there. He had even neglected the salvation of his own soul. And that's when Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? It doesn't matter how much money you got. If you're not saved, you're not going to heaven, it's going to do you no good. You can't buy a ticket to heaven. Even if you're a trillionaire. So what good is it? That's why he said, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. They're not going to be able to endure that judgment. They're not going to stand in it. They're going to be condemned. They're going to be cast out. Why? Because their names are not written in the book of life. That's why he said, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Guess what? In heaven, there won't be any there. They're not going to make it. So guess what? When you look out and they've got the latest boat and the biggest truck and the nicest yard and the best bank account in town, listen, let them enjoy all that. That's the only heaven they're going to have. They're having it right now. Yes, it looks like there's great substance but it's like the chaff. Because the wind of life's going to blow one day and it's going to be all gone. And then what? Hey, can I tell you something? The poorest believer that knows Jesus Christ as his Savior who makes it to heaven is going to be richer than that man who owned many worldly goods but died without Christ and went to hell. So in the end, who would you rather be? The blessed man. God, help me be the blessed man. Guess what? It all starts by walking not in the counsel of the ungodly. Let's listen to the Lord and do what he says because he knows the way. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Strength for today is mine all the way. And all that I need for tomorrow. Because my Lord knows the way. Through the wilderness. And all I have to do is follow. Let's pray. Father, how we love you today and how we want to follow your word, fulfilling the good things that you've given us to do and becoming the blessed man. Not by dwelling on the negative but by making sure that the negative doesn't dwell in us. Help us, Lord, to love what you love 
to think like you think. Help us to learn your word and then live it out for real. Lord, help us to be the blessed man, the blessed woman, the blessed boy or girl by following you and just doing what you've said. Your way is the best way. Thank you for showing it to us. Thank you for helping us. In Jesus' name we pray.